Uh, I'm joined here today by Bob Button. He's a member of the Sharks uh, who were involved in the recording of Let's Have a Party, Albany, back in uh, 1986, and we're really pleased to be joined by you, Bob. Thanks for being here. Well, thanks, Don. You know, that song just keeps coming back every year or so, and uh, it's, um, you know, it's it's an honor. I uh, uh, We kind of looked at it as like, oh, this would be kind of some nice promotion, and um, uh, when we did it, we kind of got, you know, we, we got a lot of ribbing from our, uh, uh, you know, musician friends. But I think uh, ultimately it got out there so much that um, one time one of our uh, former members of the band was flying back in from, uh, I'm not exactly sure where he's flying back in from, but into Albany Airport. And um, he heard it in the airport. So, really? They played play at the it. airport sometimes. They played that record, you know, they played that record as uh, people were arriving. <laughs> that is too funny. Well, that, it really yeah. has stood the test of time, and, and it does come up. Uh, I see it on social media from time to time. Uh, oh, yeah. And, uh, you know, it's it's for many people, I think, myself included, it, uh, it's a bit of a gateway into your discography, oh. you know, where maybe the well, first thing you. people hear, and this was the case with me, is let's have a party Albany, and then you say, well, wait sure. a minute, I see a horn section, uh, you know, it's, it's got a great little rock beat behind it, who are the yeah. sharks? And and next thing you know, you're you're hunting for vinyl, uh, you know, at Last Vestige Records, and, uh, right. and going from there. Right. I'm, hold, I'm holding in my hand right now, Bob, uh, three things. One is a copy of the 45 of Let's Have a Party Albany. Oh, good Lord. Uh, the other Did you get is it a copy at Burger of, King? <laughs> uh, I didn't get it at Burger King, but uh, I bought it from somebody <laughs> secondhand. I also have a copy oh. of Shark Treatment uh, right here. Oh. And then a copy yeah. of Seven Deadly Fins. So, um, oh, yeah. You know, oh, so fins. you, gained, you yeah. gained a fan in me all those years ago when I found out about this well, song. Well, thank you, sir. And I want to also let you know that everything that we have recorded is also available for on you know for streaming on any of the outlets so we um, um that would be spotify and um and um uh what's the Amazon other? Music a whole and apple of, music and such yeah exactly exactly thank you great well that's awesome and then i can go a little bit deeper because you know I, although i love to collect you can't get it all so sometimes you got to turn to the the new modern versions of uh oh, indeed, of the outlet indeed. We can't go to Record Town anymore or Strawberries, I've noticed. <laughs> oh, I know. If This is kind of a nostalgia phone call for me, and I do absolutely miss, I mourn record shops. I don't remember them. No, no more. I mourn the oh. fact that we can't go oh, oh, to oh, a record mourn shop them. I thought, anymore. Oh, you mourn them. I thought you mourn records. <laughs> yeah, and, you know, just basically park your car and go in and uh, look at album covers for a couple hours was one of my favorite hobbies. Uh, yeah, I completely agree. And, and I mean, obviously, this probably isn't on the podcast, but I, I really enjoyed I live up in Clifton Park Half Moon. And sure. I really like going over to the stereo workshop up until recently when uh, Ronnie uh, Vero fell, uh, passed away. I don't know if you knew Ronnie from the music scene. Oh, certainly. Yeah. Certainly, and I would look yeah. through his records and CDs and tapes and I'd always find something new and it, it reminded me of that old feeling I got when I got to look for CDs, you know, and, and tapes sure. as a kid. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but so let's get back to, you know, what we're yeah. talking about here. So 
my first question for you is talk to me about the beginnings of the project, um, specifically as, as it relates to how you and the Sharks became involved. Okay. So we had um, a lead singer. His name is Michael Kelly. He also, he's out now, he plays with just about everybody you can imagine still to this day. That's like 35, 40 years later. Um, and a local uh, TV talk show host named David Allen, whose name is really David Mockler, uh, called us up on the phone and said, well, I'd like to meet with you guys. I've got a proposition. Um so we met at Mike Kelly's living room, all seven of us, um, and he said, uh, we want to do a song about the city of Albany. It was around the time of the uh, tricentennial. And um, so would you be interested? And at first, we, you know, we kind of said, uh, you know, yeah, maybe. Um, I'm not sure what this would entail. And then... Um, Basically, um, somehow it ended up on my desk where um, I worked with David. We um, did a demo, real quick demo, um, put it together, and then he started to um, he started to uh, book the, uh, the the people in the video and that sort of thing. And it all kind of wound up by just uh, them asking. So did you did you help pen the the arrangement or how 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 developed well, was the song when when oh, David brought okay. it to you? Well, let's have a party, Albany. The original original um, uh, idea came from a little cassette that David handed handed me that he recorded into his um, little uh, Radio Shack. Um, a cassette recorder, and um, I took that and I um, uh, orchestrated it and um, added the hook that you need so much in any kind of pop music. And um, so basically I did not write the original idea, but I did write the tune. And then we brought it into the band. They, of course, added their... Um, you know, they're, they're shine and luster, and um, we recorded it at the College of St. Rose, um, mostly because they donated the time and, and space for the recording rather than um, having to pay in a, a studio because back then, well, same thing now, they are not, you know, there's not really forthcoming with uh, with money to do stuff like this. So we knew there was going to be a tie-in, we didn't know that the tie-in was going to be so large, meaning that it was debuted on Channel 10. Um, it had all of the uh, celebrities of that day in there. We almost had Mike Tyson right in the uh, studio to do, you know, the big We Are the World scene that uh, we did there. Um so it was, it was a lot of fun. Uh, you know, it turned out to be really good. And as I said, we were kind of chastised by our fellow musicians. What the heck did you do there? That's going to be, but it worked. And, you know, the funny thing about it is is that uh, you were absolutely right. It did direct people towards listening to what we used to do. And we just had, um, last April, we just had a reunion concert. We sold out a place called the Hollow Bar 
in Albany and um, some of the fans that we haven't seen for 40 years. It was really, really quite a situation. You know, it's funny you mentioned that reunion. As I was doing my research, I saw that, and I, and I couldn't believe that I didn't know about it because I've been a fan of you guys for the last, you know, five, six, seven years. And well, I thank just, you. I, I didn't know. <laughs> I absolutely would have been there myself. Um, well, yeah. But so so getting back to the celebrities that appear in the, uh, oh, right. the video, yeah. um, mm-hmm. I, I researched it as best I could. Uh, the Times Union, when they did their 30th anniversary of the song profile, they, they really helped identify a lot of them. Do right. you remember uh, some of the key celebrities that appeared in the video, and did they have any contribution to um, either the recording process or, um, or you know, or the writing of yeah. their line or anything like that? Well, we did a layover track um, in the studio of everybody, you know, chanting A L B A N Y Albany, New York. But other than that, no. Um, you know, uh, it was just pretty much uh, David, my uh, myself, and the band uh, doing the uh, actual penning of the um, of the song. But the celebrity thing was kind of funny. I mean, uh, you know, I, I looked in there recently because uh, I looked at a picture that I had in my files when we moved down to Dutchess County here, and um, it was funny. I saw Curtis Sliwa and his uh, then wife Lisa was, I guess, a fashion model vigilante or something like that. Um, and uh, uh, what really warmed my heart was um, we had a very, very close relationship with a, an old man who played at the Gemini Jazz Cafe for years named Fats Jefferson. And Fats did a cameo in that. That was great. Of course, Mason and Sheehan. Um all of the Channel 10 people um, of the time uh, was, I think, Marcy Elliott was one of the names. And, of course, uh, Dick Wood, who I ended up doing other commercials and jingles with in the in the, in the future. Um, who else was in it that I can think of? Um, I got a whole list right here if you need. I have a whole list right here if you need somebody to <laughs> jog your memory. Uh-huh. Okay, yeah, um, maybe I could comment on them. <laughs> so, so we've got Jill Harris, the 1985 Tulip Queen, the Albany Tulip Queen. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, Barbara Thomas from Barbara Thomas Modeling Agency. Right. I still to this day don't know who that is, but um, I'm not sure great. either. I didn't know Albany had any modeling agencies. Uh, must um, not have lasted too long. <laughs> yeah. Uh, George Layton, uh, WTEN uh, announcer. Are you local? Don? I am, yeah. I'm in the Albany area. Okay. Yep. Okay. He was called the old skipper. I watched him at 4 p.m. every day of my entire elementary school life. He um, showed Popeye and Three Stooges shorts. That's George Layton, and that's okay. an amazing amount of history right there. Wow. That's so pretty cool to have, you know, an old legend, you know, right there uh, immortalized oh, yeah. on well, the video, a- too. I made him sign something, the old skipper. He, I thought he was going to cry. Oh, <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> um, some other ones, just to, to briefly go down the list, David Allen obviously appears. Um, Jim Coyne, yeah. Albany County Executive. Right. Um, Police Chief John Dale. Um, right. A couple wrestlers, Olympic gold medalist uh, Jeff, I think it's Blatnick. Oh, Blatnick, right. Oh, my goodness, I forgot about Jeff. Yeah. He and then big, and then. 
What's that? Um, also, he was a fan. He used to come out to shows and stuff when he was in town. Okay. Uh, we got Big John Studd, who looked like a professional wrestler, perhaps? Yeah, Big John Studd was um, a professional wrestler. Somehow he had a local tie. I don't remember. Okay. Uh, Mayor Lou Whitney, uh, Mayor Thomas Whalen III. Uh, Mike Tyson, it does appear, but it just it looks like it's file footage. Um, same with the right. Righteous Corning the second. That's a file photo, obviously. Um, yeah. The late Ed O'Brien from WRGB. Um, right. Julius, I'm going to say it's Heggy, the Albany Symphony uh, Orchestra conductor. Oh, right, conductor. the Albany Symphony conductor, yes. And then uh, yeah, Bishop Julius. Howard Hubbard. What yep. about Julius? And, uh, uh, Julius uh, was um, – pretty much can be credited for um, making such a strong symphony orchestra in the Albany area that when David Allen Miller um, uh, came on to uh, conduct and direct, he actually made it into a world-class orchestra. So he's, yeah, he's quite a man. Um, Now, you mentioned William uh, William Fats Jefferson. He obviously appears, and that's a great um, connection right there. Um, Oh, I love Fats, yeah. Now we we used to um, uh, you know hurry up to get done with our club gigs and hopefully run down to the Gemini on uh, Madison when we were in town to uh, go play with him. Okay. Um, not appearing in this uh, in the video was then Governor Mario Cuomo, who I understand they just couldn't get him <laughs> scheduling conflicts and stuff. Right. They uh, you know the funny thing about Mario Cuomo the way I understand it is. You know, he represented Albany, but he lived in New York City. And things weren't quite as big in the telecommunications business as they are now. <laughs> Understandable. Uh, it's funny, Ed, obviously you already mentioned, you know, Bob and Bill, uh, or Bob Mason and Bill Sheehan. They seem to have right. a pretty featured role in uh, in the video and in the song, having those first two letters of A, L, and then the second right. two letters of, you know, B, A. Um was that by design? Did you guys say, "Hey, you know, they're among well, the biggest yeah, celebrities I mean, that we're going to profile"? Or how did that? How did they come together? Well, the, 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 the thought behind that was that, um, you know, um, they were the biggest region in the area, or in I should say the region, and um, you know, they were the um, top. Paid um, at that time, I refer. I think they were referred to as shock jocks, um, and they had a morning program. It was just a really good tie-in for the promotion for the band, and it was a really good tie-in because they were able to use some of their um, influences to actually have um, the production. I think was underwritten by Burger King where you could have gotten the record um, in a local Burger King for 99 cents if you bought a soda or something. I don't know, <laughs> something like that. But, um, yeah, so it was a tie-in. Okay, well, it makes sense. I mean, you know, they, if they can help promote oh. it, and, and it does and it does well for the, you know, for the band, but also I know it was in support of Hope House. You know, you raised some money for yeah. them as well, so it's, oh, it's we, kind of a no-brainer. Well, yeah. um, then we did a concert, um that had really nothing to do with that song, but we did a concert um, that following summer. Uh, would have been like '87, I believe, because it was winter time, and I think it was '86 
It might. Well, it doesn't matter. Eighty, eighty-six or eighty-seven, and um, we did a concert uh, sponsored by um, Mason and Sheen, and we did you know a slew of people downtown Albany, um, you know, based on it. So it really did help our popularity. That's great. Um, now the last celebrity uh, that I haven't mentioned yet, but I immediately recognized in the uh, in the video for the song, um, also has his name. I noticed on the record itself. Uh, it says you're, it, this was put uh, out by Scooter Records, a subsidiary of Uncle Vito Masonelli Enterprises uh, Limited. Uncle Vito, right. he's somebody I recognize. His face. I'm almost 40 years old, uh, and when I was growing up, he was also appearing on the Fox 23 Kids Club oh. as Ranger Danger. <laughs> Ranger Danger! Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you so know, I recognize um, him from that, but it's Uncle Vito, sure. obviously, the radio personality. Now, yeah, now Uncle Vito, um, you know, uh, all of this stuff, of course, is, you know, uh, made up for radio, for stories, content. Uh, Uncle Vito was supposed to have been a uh, witness protection program um you know, uh, mafios from the city that he moved up here and started getting involved in TV. You know, it's it's nothing. He was a guy. He was just a great guy, nice man, wanted to do children's programming eventually. Um, and I think he was from Gloversville or something like that. But anyway, it was, you know, it was trumped up a little bit, but it was it was a lot of fun. And he would call into the radio station every morning and, you know, uh, make – uh, references to the mafia and, and such, and it was fun. That is fun. Now, what about Scooter Records? Was that a record label that was created just to put this out, or do you know if they put um, any yeah, of your other work? I guess legally you would call it a vanity label. Okay. I don't think there was no there was no label um, uh, affiliation whatsoever. Um, it was you know independent. Well, I, I guess uh, based on the fact that I, I have it in my hand, uh, Scooter Records also put out at least one other song. It's the B-side to the record, which is Too Late to Go Back. That happens to be right. my favorite Shark song. Um, well, can you give me a little background you. on that particular one, where it came from? Was well, it recorded uh, at the same time, or, or what's the story? It was written by Mike Kelly. Um, if you're so lucky to have... Um, you know, uh, a recording studio to work in, and if you're a working band, you always keep a catalog. You always keep a, um, you know, a group of uh, songs that haven't been released yet, and that just happened to be one of them that we thought would go really well. Okay, so, so yeah. that didn't appear on any other uh, EP or anything like that? Uh, nothing. No, nope. That no. was just a, a one-off, and uh, we. That's funny. We did that at the reunion concert. We got our oh. huge response so it was, oh my was gosh. very very now i'm even more uh regretful that i, <laughs> I was not oh. able to attend can you promise no, me we're going to have another reunion to... this year yeah i'm not going to forecast anything <laughs> but there was um there was an offer made for this summer i'm not sure that we can get everybody in the same room and only because of schedules, you know, the, the lead guitar player is back and forth to Florida now. I live out of town, um, and we're on to other projects. But there probably and most likely will be at least one more, if not a couple more. Because, I mean, we've already lost one member, you know, um, to a heart disease a couple of years ago. And um, that really did shake us to uh, to do a reunion show, so... 
Who who is it no that word. passed away? It wasn't uh his name was Tom Dambrose. Okay, Tom saxophone he played player. saxophones, right? Yes. Okay. Well, obviously condolences that you know it did, I I'm sure oh, well, it's you. like losing a member of your family, you know, all all those years um, ago, but even so. Hate to hate to be so dramatic, but it was almost worse. Oh. Because a lot of my family, um, you know, and a lot of everybody's family, because we're all in our mid-60s heading to 70, are very old people. And you kind of almost expect it. But Tom was cut down uh, when he was 64. That was, you know, that was a tough one. Uh, understandably but so. What a hell of a, of a memorial concert we had. <laughs> oh, did you? Where did, where did that take place? Uh, we did it at the Hangar on the Hudson, yeah. Okay. It's like 300 of our uh, closest friends, <laughs> you know, uh, packed the place and just, oh, it was great. Well, that, that's a great excuse to get back together, you know, and, and celebrate, uh, you know, his legacy for sure. Um, now, speaking of the horn section, that's something that, ah. you know, maybe back in the day was a little bit more common with bands like Chicago and Huey Lewis and the News, you know, utilizing it pretty right, well in the, right. the mid-'80s. But these days we don't see it as much. Tell me about the horn section as it um, as it pertains to this particular song. Well, you, know, you knew you were going to have a horn section, right? How, how did that? Oh, yeah. uh, how did that we, line um, get developed? The Sharks were a seven-piece band, which included a trumpet, trombone, and saxophone. Um, so that was if you wanted us, you had to have a horn section too. Um, so um, yeah. Um, we were heavily influenced, actually, by um, the band. Um, you know, if you've ever seen The Last Waltz, that's kind of what we structured that band afterwards. Um, Springsteen, back in the day, used to use, a, still does, actually uses a lot of horns in his productions. Um, and, um, you know, that comes right from the uh, old R&B records, like the... Um, the Stax records and the Volt records and um, people like Otis Redding and, um, you know, Jackie Wilson and all the wonderful uh, R&B guys. So that's where, where we kind of, that's how we kind of came to that. And besides, if you're a trumpet player or a trombone player, it's great to have a band because they're not like common, you know. And that actually, I think the uniqueness sold the group quite a bit too. I, I personally love the sound, and actually, um, mm -hmm. David Hosley, who's a mutual you know friend of ours, he was my music teacher. And last year or the year before, I put out a song uh, of my own, and I wanted a whole horn section, so I, I arranged it up, and I said, Haz, can you help me out? And he put together an entire horn section for it, which I think made the song stand out. It was a, a ton of fun to oh, record and, and, and put out there. Yeah. I mean, I'm involved now where I uh, merged my studio with... Um, um, one of the guitar players in, in in my band, and we have a studio down in. All we're doing is cataloging original music now. We've been about six months into it, and we'll be about two more years before we finish. And most of the productions have um, horn sec uh, horns on it, and it's still the same horn section, but we replaced Tom with a guy named Marcus Benoit, and um, that was it. You know, so yeah, horns. To me, you need something. You need horns or strings or a great backing vocal group or something to really make your production stand out. 
I completely agree. And, and even thinking back to, you know, when I, when I was growing up in the 90s, the bands the, in alternative rock, which is what I primarily listened to at the time, um, well, certainly. That, that, that feathered in an instrument that you otherwise wouldn't see in your typical garage band, those are the ones that I think stood out the most where, it, you know, there was a band yeah. named Cake and they had a, a trumpet. And they would they had a trumpet player. Yeah, and they would always feature it. Um, I Counting love Crows would use the accordion. What's that? Yeah, I will survive. That's I, one of my favorite. Uh, I, I know, love it. Yeah, alternative arrangements. Um, they Counting Crows would utilize the accordion, accordion regularly too, and you know, yeah. so just having having these color instruments put in really mm-hmm. made a pop song stand out. You know, at a time yeah. when maybe they they weren't featured anymore. If you did feature them, you got a little more attention, which which I always noticed. Certainly. Um, so, hey, moving on and back to um, Let's Have a Party, Albany. Obviously, yes. when the when the track hit 30 years old, the Times Union decided to do, to do a feature on it. And, in fact, they decided mm-hmm. to reboot the entire thing. Um, how familiar w- with the new version are you? And, you know, were you guys consulted at all when it came to reproducing the song all those decades later? No, we were neither consulted or insulted. So, <laughs> you know. <laughs> It was fine. No, I mean, you know, life moves on. Music is a very, um, you know, it's a very fluid thing. So, you know, they felt they needed to do that. I think that's a wonderful thing. Well, there's there's no question, you know, especially as I as I revisited uh, those articles, uh, you know, in preparation for this interview, there's no question that that the Times Union does a great job putting together uh, the interviews and getting the background information and, and and telling a great story as they as they featured it. Um, but what le- was left to be desired was, I would say, the quality of the reboot. You know, it seemed a lot more rushed than than maybe, you know, what right. you guys produced all those years ago. And and for that reason, it was it was underwhelming in my opinion. I, I really wish they brought the horn section back. I wish they took the time to record it again, you know, professionally. Um, and I wasn't I wasn't really able to pick out the celebrities in the modern version either. Um, you know, it was it was a little you confusing know? in my on my end as right. a fan. And, you know, I. I've heard that they had done that, but to this day I have not seen or heard it. I'll I'll send you the link. It's on. It's out there. Um, but it's it's a drum set and a piano, and then like mm-hmm. forty forty people standing on stage at the Linda, um, you know, the WAMC uh, studio, and that's pretty much it. So they they just sing the song again. That's funny. Yeah, that's funny. I'll, I'd have to research it and see who um, actually was. Um, behind it okay uh so um, you already touched on this bob and i won't take up too much more of your time but if you have another minute oh, i would ask you about uh a little bit more on the about the impact that this song had both in the community and on your careers uh you know did you find that the people were humming it was it getting a lot of radio play uh and also you know did did you find that you gained some uh, additional fans uh, beyond what you expected okay um as i said and it's, it should be pointed out that, um, you know, the local music community thought they had a lot of fun making fun of us for doing it, which is which is fine because we're all goofy, you know, sophomoric, um, uh, junior high school um, kind of kids <laughs> doing this. <laughs> but um, in the general public, yes, I believe it did help us um, in the long run um, with the – with the exposure that you got, because for a few weeks you couldn't turn around without the thing being on either the, the, the teaser commercials. You know, Channel Ten did a lot of uh, 
a lot of background for that, which was wonderful. Uh, and then did it help the career? I don't know. Um, as I say, bands are so fluid that, um, you know, well, the band kind of broke up after maybe a year or so after it. So I'm not sure that it helped any longevity thing, but it certainly uh, it certainly was um, a moment in history that uh, we're never going to be able to, you know, say that we didn't do. So that's great, you know. It was, there you go. It, it, as it, it was what it was. So have you ever played it live outside of that, that one initial concert after the show, or, or do you ever get uh, back no, into it? No, we haven't. Um, we, did, we didn't. Um, uh, we did, however, consider when we were putting together a set list for the reunion concert, it was basically, do we do it, don't we do it? And um, it was like a, uh, a five to three, or no, I'm sorry, a four to three vote that we didn't do it. So <laughs> but I wouldn't have I wouldn't have minded. I think it would have been kind of a, a a cool thing. It would have been, you know, um how shall I put it? Uh it would have been a um we could admit that we did something that uh you know was a little bit bigger than we were. I guess <laughs> it's either well, I, I think the next time you guys do a reunion concert, at least try to sneak it into the sound check. Just start off with that drum beat and then get the horn section, you know, warmed up uh, with that lick. <laughs> <laughs> thank you, John. That's really nice of you. All right. Well, listen, I want to thank you again, Bob, and I want to officially end this portion of the interview. But if you have another minute, I wanted to ask you a little bit more about your time uh, writing other jingles. Would that be okay, or do you oh, have to run? Oh, absolutely. I'd love it. Actually, if you hear some wind and stuff in the background, the dog had to go out, so I'm okay, going to around the yard. Now the audio quality's been pretty clear, and 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 that's a good thing. Um, so good. you mentioned you you wrote the Armory jingles. Um, tell me a bit yeah. about the Armory jingles and also the the different versions of them, because I know of at least two. I imagine there might have even right. been more. Well, we started right around the same time as uh, Let's Have a Party. Um, I worked with David Lansler. Basically, we had a relationship that was um, he would he would make a demo on his little cassette player, and I'm talking really, really, really primitive. And um, then I would structure them, and we'd go into the studio. We went, uh, you know, we had budgets for this stuff, so we went into uh, some really nice um, what was what was it called Cotton Hill Studios quite a bit. Um, they ranged from a uh, particular uh, ad that we did for Armory Suzuki, where um, basically the tagline was "I got mine for seventy nine ninety nine," which what which meant you know the Armory Suzuki uh, Jeep kind of looking thing, and um, he did millions and millions and millions of dollars of business on that. He sold more on one quarter on that, not based on the commercial, but based on the entire package. He sold more in one business quarter than um, the rest of the country. <laughs> it just happened that way. Wow. Um, so that's seventy nine ninety nine. Can you imagine? Can you imagine yeah, buying a new car for that price? Uh, <laughs> that would be good. It's never happened. Right. I have, um, I have a Cadillac XT5 that costs seventy nine ninety nine. Ninety nine, so it was seventy nine thousand. 
(laughs) (laughs) And then um, we used, um, and I was trying to remember the name of the um, James Bond film. Hang on two seconds. There you go, Stella. Good girl. Okay, I was trying to name, um, but we used an actor from New York named uh, Mr. Jeffrey Holder. Oh, I remember Jeffrey. Right. He was very, um, very famous from the 7-Up commercials. Okay. I don't know if you remember. You may I don't remember have the 7-Up commercials. born yet. Well, I, but, uh, I, so I remember Jeff. I, I remember Jeffrey's like ad campaigns and you know singing. Uh, you can't get armory off your mind like that. Mind. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um, and and I didn't know if he was a celebrity from before this commercial or if this commercial made him a celebrity. But in my eyes, as a child, I was like, oh, that guy is you know king of Albany. <laughs> right. Exactly. Um, okay. Well, it's funny. I had no idea. I'm on speaker for he, two he, seconds here. That's um, okay. Now. Um, yeah, the thing that impressed me most about Jeffrey Holder was the fact that he was a huge part of the Harlem Renaissance. Um, back historically, um, he danced with Duke Ellington. He was a dancer from Trinidad, and he, uh, did some modern dancing with, um, with um, uh, Duke Ellington, he was uh, the best friends of uh, of um, oh, who was the Calypso guy there? Um, I could sing a couple of his songs, um, but anyway, um, he was a big part of the uh, civil rights movement. And uh, so the producer Don uh, Metzner and David Allen and I and Jeffrey went to dinner the night before he was in the studio. And um, he started telling a story. And I think we were at the, uh, uh, what was it called there? Um, It was on Wolf Road, that hotel. But anyway, he, um, (laughs) this is really wild. He um, has done so much that uh, people didn't quite realize in Albany what they had. And it was just a fluke. I think um, he met um, Don Metzner, the producer. I think he met him, like, at a trade show or something. You know, he was doing trade shows at the time. So um, that was a really good campaign. Um, we did a country one. I remember the country um, one as well. I, I'd be curious if right, you have the lyrics to that one, because that one I, I can sing the tune, but I don't have all the lyrics in my memory banks. Oh, boy. Like something about we're dancing in the aisles at Armory and then something else. Yep, yep. Yeah, exactly. Now, um, that was sung and uh, the guitar parts, and it was sung by Matt Smith, um, a Clifton Park native, um, who uh, now runs uh, an internationally famous guitar store in Austin, Texas, called the Six String Ranch. And... um, so, uh, yeah, we had him in to do that. Um, we were talking at the time. Don was very, very proactive about um, developing, um, you know, his his dealership. And um, we were talking down the line of getting more and more national celebrities to do jingles for him. But then uh, apparently everything was so successful. 
successful with his jingles, he didn't really need to bother to do that kind of promotion anymore. And uh, that's where they are today. Very interesting. I mean, Armory, you know, still stands, uh, I think, in the same location. Oh, um, oh Somehow yeah. even bigger. <laughs> it is, exactly. And, um, you know, so that that's what's over. Uh, Don was a... Don was a visionary. I can say that um, he uh, he wasn't afraid to try something new. Um, he used to introduce me in the weirdest places. Um, you know, was, this is the guy who wrote all my jingles. You know, so he was all excited about doing that kind of thing. And then I guess uh, that we achieved what we were uh, set out to do, which was to make it a household name, and we did. No, it was a, uh, a job well done. Uh, two questions. You you mentioned that you co-wrote this with David. What was his last name? Okay, David Mockler, who was David Allen. Oh, oh, it's the same person. It's the same person. Yeah, David Allen was his talk show host name, and Mockler, which apparently was too ethnic for 60s television, <laughs> um, what is his real it's his surname. Understood. And then how many versions of the Armory jingle would you say you actually produced and made air? Are there there more than just the two, or or is it just the two that we just haven't played? Mm. I'm going to say conservatively there's probably seven. Wow. And yet none of them exist in digital form or, or even analog anymore, right? No, no, you know. The problem with me is I'm not particularly nostalgic, so I never saved stuff like that. Besides, never had a house big enough to, you know, to have archives. <laughs> and um, so, um, yeah, you know, I I could, um, I should make a phone call into David, and uh, I will tell him we spoke. And should I? Um, should he have something that I don't know about, um, I would be more than happy to get it over to you. Sure. Yeah, it would be a lot of fun to, to profile any one of uh, these particular jingles. And uh, ideally, mm-hmm. if, if there's multiples, then, then we can talk about them all in the same episode. Um, Sounds but, great. You know, so, you know, please uh, say thank you in advance to David if he can pull something oh, up. Oh, certainly. Um, now, oh, again, man, you want... I, haven't, yeah, I haven't spoken what... to him in a long time. Did you write any other uh, jingles in the area? Well, I used to spec a lot of things. Um, okay. Um, but uh, actually, that I can think of, I'm primarily noted for those. I remember getting all the way up to the 11th hour on a campaign for a local swimming pool company, and um, then they decided or lost or whatever. Their promotional budget, um, that would have been, um, you know, uh, I'd rather actually not, you know, not to insult them or whatever. That was yeah, you don't want to name under, them. Sure. Yeah, I don't want to name them. Um, yeah, um, I have some national ones out there, too. Um, wrote a, um, back in, the, oh, gosh, it was probably the early 80s, I did something for, um, for Kentucky Fried Chicken that went national. Well, you know, back then what they did is they would play it in the southern region, and then they'd play it up in Canada. Then they'd play it in the, the western, Cali, you know, the California, Arizona region. So, yeah, I wrote something for them a long time ago. I'm trying to think. 
there's others. And then, I mean, you know, too, um, not necessarily radio or TV jingle commercials, but just wrote motivational music for particular events like uh, corporate events are big for, um, you know, rallying all your salesmen together and then they play a, back then they would play some kind of a rallying song. It, it would be a jingle, but it would be played like in an auditorium at a conference rather than something else, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, interesting. Um, yeah. Out of curiosity, did you write or do you know who did write and produce the Times Union's Where Your Source jingle? Because that's our white whale. We can't find it. Um, did you talk to Nancy Wade? Nancy Wade. No, it's not a name I know. Uh, where is Nancy? Okay, Nancy Wade was the other person in town. I'm not even sure she's living. Huh. But if you talk to Pat Tessitore over at um, Cathedral Sound in Rensselaer, yep. um, he might know. But Tessitore, is it with the T as in Tom or, or P as in Peter? T as in Tom, T-E-S-S-A-T-O-R. Again, not sure if he's even living. But, um, yeah, they were the other, they were the other jingle uh, producers in the area okay. at the time. Yeah. And one other one who I know did not write that is a guy named Gary Tash. And Gary Tash also um, had done a lot of commercial work. Where, where might I um, find Gary Tash if he's around? Well, is there such a thing as a phone book anymore? Uh, yeah, there's, there's there's websites that have replaced it um, that I'm pretty good okay. at. Where 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 would he be living? Would you think, or where did he, he live? He would uh, most likely he would be living in Troy or Spiegeltown, New York. Spiegeltown. All right, and with a K isn't uh, cash it with a K or cash with a C? All right, his um, it's cash with a T A S H. Oh, T as in the to- as in Tom. Mm-hmm. Okay, I was going to say cash, like money. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> well, I'll try to look into them. And you said Nancy Wade is is deceased, as far as you know. I believe so, but then um, I'm not very verifiable. So understandable. Okay. Well, I'll try to reach out to them. We've, you know, we remember it fondly, and it's one we always try to chase down. But the Times Union, unfortunately, yeah. you know, for as great of a record keeper yeah. they are, they don't keep their own records. <laughs> I think it's very noble that you're doing something like this because, um, you know, I mean, let's face it, a jingle is actually serves a purpose and then it's made to throw away. It really it's unfortunate. is. It's unfortunate because, uh, you know, it's a, there, a lot of work goes into them and a lot of thought goes into them, as, as I imagine you understand. Yeah. But the it, unfortunately, I think there's probably a, a millions of great jingles that never got a fair shake because the advertiser didn't have the capital to buy the airtime right. to keep them going. You know, can well, you, you've mentioned yeah. you've written many on spec. I, I can only imagine that there might be some gems in there that people never got to hear. <laughs> well, thank you. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we always tried to pull out the, um, you know, the pull out everything that you could. Um, so, yeah, probably something did get lost in the in the fray. Understood. Well. Well, Bob, is there anything else you wanted to add, or shall I let you go and enjoy Other than the uh, fact your, that your Thursday? Thank you very, very much for uh, 
for listening. Um, it is always, uh, you know, it is always beautiful to be remembered for something. And, uh, you know, uh, that band and uh, that song uh, have really uh, it helped, you know. Oh, helped sure. Helped my stuff. Yeah. Well, I, I appreciate you taking the time to speak with me, and uh, I'm looking forward oh, to you pleasure. sending me a – I'm hoping you're going to send me a Facebook message at some point that says the reunion – concert is on this date <laughs> at this location. I don't care where it is. We'll, you know, Caitlin and I will be there yeah. for sure. And uh, right. if you ever, I know you don't save a lot of stuff because you're not nostalgic, but if you ever come across any extra vinyl that you're looking to unload uh, with the shark's oh. name on it, uh, I'm always looking to add to my collection. Oh, you got it, buddy. Why, 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 why,